This morning, Romans 13. And when we, when we left off in Romans, we were continuing a section that began in chapter 12, a section in which Paul has been telling us different ways uh, in which we can stop being conformed to the world and start being transformed by the renewing of our mind. That was the beginning of chapter 12. That was the topic sentence of this section. Hey, if you want to live a worshipful life, Paul was saying, learn to think like God. If you want to be godly, learn to think in a godlike way. And for the last couple chapters, point by point, Paul's been walking us through how to do that, right? Giving us examples. Not this, but that. Trade this for that. Not selfishness, but service. Not vengeance, but forgiveness. Not pride, but humility, and so forth. Well, as we scroll down to verse 11 this morning, Romans 11, I'm sorry, Romans 13, verse 11, Paul's not done. He's got even more, not this, but that to lay on us. He's got even more putting off and putting on to talk to us about, to convey to us. But, but he starts off with a little bit of a pause, a little bit of an aside to, to convey, to express to us the urgency underpinning this whole subject. Do this, he says, verse 11. Everything I've been talking about, this, this not being conformed but being transformed, do this. It's a command. It's imperative. Knowing the time that now it's high time to awake out of sleep. Wake up, he says. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Paul is hitting pause to exhort us, hey, this is important. This is important today. This is important now. He's hitting pause to express to us, if you've been putting off obedience, if, if you know you're still more conformed than transformed, if you've been telling yourself, yeah, I'll get, away, I'll get around to surrendering one of these days. I'll get around to worshiping God with my life one of these days. Stop stalling is Paul's message as we begin this morning. Stop stalling. We don't know how many days we have left. The window to obey, to surrender, to worship God with our lives, Paul is telling us that window is closing. The opportunity to do the things we want to do, we mean to do, we intend to do someday, one day, that, that window might close today. The rapture has no warning sign. There's no yellow light that starts flashing, indicating that it's imminent. It's always imminent. There's no precondition. There's no prerequisite to Christ returning for his church. It could happen literally at any time. That was true in Paul's day. It's no less true in our day. Paul tells the Romans 2,000 years ago, hey, the return of Christ, it's closer than when you first believed. It's closer every day. What do you think he would say to us? Because <laughs> it's way closer for us than it was for them, and, and I get that that's just how math works. But, but it's closer for us not just because 2,000 years have passed. Think, think about the times that we live in. We've seen Israel return to the land. We're living in the shadow of a one-world government. We're seeing the groundwork laid for a global currency. Your dog or cat probably has Mark of the Beast technology. Your home computer, if it was purchased in the last few years, has deep fake capability. And with it, the, uh, the, the capacity to launch convincing deception. We live in a world that's poised to fulfill every prophecy that we read about in the book of Revelation. And here's the point. The rapture happens first. 
So what would Paul say to us today? He'd say the same thing that he says to the Romans, wake up. It's time to get serious. It's time to stop thinking like the world and start thinking like we believe in Jesus. Mike said that at the men's retreat. I'm stealing it. It's mine now. It's time to start living like we believe in Jesus. It's time to think like God. It's time to live for God, Paul is saying. It's time to worship God with our lives. How do we do that? That's everything Paul's been talking about, right? Last two chapters. How do I worship God with my life? By casting out the works of darkness. Now he's going to continue. Here's another for instance. Here's another example. By casting off the works of darkness, verse 12, and putting on the armor of light. That's great, Paul. How do I do that? By walking properly as in the day, verse 13. Not in revelry or drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Okay, how do I do that? By putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and making no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. How do we do that? That's the question, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's the sticking point, and I think that's what the Lord would have us talk about this morning. Knowing that time is short, knowing there's an urgency, how do I cast off the works of darkness, verse 12, and walk properly, verse 13, in the day, in the light? And some of you are saying, that's easy. I know that one, Patrick. You just decide to. And that's great, except the rest of us are saying to ourselves, if it were that easy, I'd already be doing it. I mean, right? I mean, and, and let's be honest, for a lot of us, that's where the conversation ends. Cast off the works of darkness, walk properly in the day. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Yeah, I tried. I tried again. I tried a third time. I can't. So what else you got? Next subject. Let's move on. I mean, I mean that, that's where a lot of us are at this morning. I'm not accusing. I'm just observing. Because I talk to a lot of people who tell me, I've tried to break that habit, I've tried to end that addiction, I've tried to get out of that cycle, I've tried to be more like Christ, I've tried, I've failed, I don't know what else you want me to do. Some of us have tried and failed and, and just given up on Jesus altogether. Many of us have tried and succeeded in some areas. Some of our lives are conformed to the image of God. But there are parts of our life, there's that one part of our life that just refuses to yield. It refuses to submit to every, every effort we make to wrestle it under control. We're trying and we're getting tired. Maybe we're even losing hope. I'm telling you, and I'm telling you not just because I know, but because I know. A lot of people in this room are struggling with sin. That's true in any room where the body of Christ comes together. That's why Paul is writing this whole section. He's talking to us. Revelry and drunkenness. Maybe revelry not so much. Maybe, you know, not out of control all night parties. But, but, but drinking? Getting drunk, getting high? That happens in the body of Christ. With marijuana all but legal? I, I've been talking to people who are telling me, yeah, I haven't gotten stoned for years, but, you know, now that I don't have to go behind the QT to score, I thought, well, what, you know, why not? They try it and realize they can't shake it. As they, it's not supposed to be addictive. But they there are saying, I can't stop. It's not the same weed that we had when we were kids. Prescription meds, even with all of the awareness and publicity and restriction of recent years, still plenty of doctors willing to keep that stream of opiates coming. And, 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 and even if you don't find one of those, you can find two or three that'll prescribe a trickle, and three trickles together equals a stream. 
Lewdness and lust. Statistically, two-thirds of the men in this room are looking at pornography once a month. Just statistically. For young men, for guys in their teens and 20s, it's once a week. Christian men. Two-thirds of all Christian men monthly, younger men it's weekly, and it's a quarter of Christian women and growing. The rate of pornography use among women is growing faster than it is among men. And the effects of pornography addiction are well documented. It erodes trust in God, trust in your spouse, wars with the commitment to marriage, wars with the devotion to family, destroys a biblical, destroys a biblical understanding of intimacy and sexuality. And that explains a lot of what's happening in the evangelical church. Strife, verse 13. Some people aren't addicted to porn and drugs, they're addicted to drama. If they're not experiencing it, they find it. If they can't find it, they create it. Why? So they can be in the middle of it. (laughs) So they can get the attention that comes from it or the built-in excuse that comes with it. Things would be different if it wasn't for her. I'd be in a whole different place if it wasn't for him. You'd see what I'm really capable of if not for them pulling me in and tearing me down and holding me back. Some people are addicted to drama. They can't get away from it. Some people are addicted to envy, still verse 13. They, they're addicted to that thing that, that they want, that, and they can never quite get to it. But they know what will make them happy. It's the right job, the right city, the right house, the right spouse, the right car, the right toys, the right tech, the right friends, the right clothes, the right body for the clothes, the right condition of the body wearing the clothes. If only I could lose weight. If only I didn't look like. If only I didn't have to deal with. Funny thing about envy, it's like every other drug. It's like every other high. It's never enough. And even if you finally do get what you want, even if you do manage to obtain that object of your affection, that, that thing, that body, that condition, it never turns out to be the right thing. Never turns out to be the right thing. And there's always a reason why it's not, why it should have been, but something spoils it. It was the right job, but oh, the boss. It was the right city, but not this neighborhood. It was the right spouse, but oh, the stepkids. It was the right friends, but I hate their friends. So the chase begins again. Or, or here's the other way to play the game. The chase never ends because we set our sights on something that's just simply impossible. We're convinced it'll satisfy us, but we're never going to get it. It's so far out of reach, we'll never lay hold of it. So that gives us a permanent excuse for never being satisfied. God won't give me what I need to be happy. That's That's actually what all of these pitfalls have in common, if you step back and look at them together. Everything that Paul named, everything he could have named. You might be thinking, I'm glad Paul stopped there. I'm glad my sin of choice didn't make the list, or this could have been really convicting for me this morning. Okay, whatever you're thinking of, whatever your personal stumbling block is, it's on the list whether Paul named it or not. But it's not on this list, it's on another list. Paul has a lot of lists. But everything that's listed, everything that could have been listed, including whatever it is you're thinking about, Whatever you have a tendency to trip over, they all have one thing in common. They all sell God short. And in the process, they sell us short. All of the ways that we have discovered to sin have something in common. They're ways to rip ourselves off. And that probably wasn't what you were expecting me to say. You might have been expecting me to say sin rips God off. It denies him the worship that's rightfully his, which is true. Sin denies God worship. 
It rips God off. That's true. You might have been expecting me to say sin rips other people off, and that's true. If it doesn't hurt people directly, it robs them the opportunity of seeing God move mightily in our lives in a way that might convict them or encourage them or give them hope. Sin rips other people off. Sin rips God off, rips people off, and either of those things alone should be enough to make us want to walk away from it. Either of those things alone should be enough to compel us to get serious about getting serious about sin. But scrutinizing Paul's list the way that we just did gives us a third reason. A third reason to put off darkness and put on light. God wants better for us. And when we sit in sin, we're ripping ourselves off. What every work of darkness has in common, they never satisfy. They can't. By definition, by their very nature, sin cannot bring joy or peace or contentment or anything else they promise. Sin cannot supply what every one of us is looking for. And what God wants to provide. Sin can't give us what we're looking for. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that. If we listen to the voice of darkness in our lives, if we really listen... Sin will even tell us that. How? Because it's always making excuses. That high didn't make my problems go away, but the next one will. I just need better junk. That porn binge didn't reduce my stress, but the next one will. I was on the wrong site. Turned out that stirring up drama didn't make me feel better. It made me feel worse, but that's not my fault. That's their fault. Getting the thing that I wanted or, or seeing my life change the way that I wanted... It made me less content, not more content, but that's because I didn't want the right thing, and now I know. Really? If our kids made that many excuses, we'd ground them. If you worked with someone who made that many excuses, you'd transfer to another team, wouldn't you? Another team, another shift, another job. Get me away from them. If a restaurant made that many excuses, you would expect to get your meal comped. If a store made that many excuses, I'm sorry it's broken, I'm sorry that it's expired, I'm sorry that it, the part was missing, I'm sorry that the bread was moldy. If a store made that many excuses, you wouldn't go back. Why do we keep going back to sin? Why do we keep going back to works of darkness when God wants so much more for us, has so much more for us? Whatever we're looking for in people, places, things, substances, habits, practices, we're not going to find it there. We're only going to find it in Jesus. Why do we keep going back? Answer. Some of you are thinking this. Because I can't help it. That's what some of us are thinking. I can't help sinning the sin that I sin when I sin. That's what all of us think sometimes. That's what some of us think all the time. It's not my fault. I can't help it. Why do we say that? Because we've tried to stop and we failed. Because people said Jesus would be the answer to all of our problems, that Christianity was everything that we were looking for. So we tried it and it's not working. Not the way people said that it would. I mean, I'm glad that I'm going to heaven. I'm glad that Jesus is going to meet me there at the end of my life. But I don't see him moving in this life. And I don't think that he's enough for this life. I've tried living as a Christian. I keep coming back to sin. I need to sin. I've tried, 
and, and, and I need my porn, I need my drugs, I need my drama, I need something just to cope with this life. I need something to numb the pain. I need something to hide the hurt. I need something to dull the fear. I need something to help me manage the constant disappointment that comes from living. No, we don't. You don't and I don't either. Paul, Paul just said that we don't. The Bible says again and again that we don't. Jesus says that we don't. That's why Paul attaches the urgency to it that he does. Jesus is coming back. No one knows the day or the hour. If someone tells you that they do, just give them a, a light little slap. Don't, don't hurt them, just say, no. No one knows the day or the hour. Jesus could come back for his church today. How do we want him to find us? Agreeing with him or arguing? Worshiping or rebelling? Glorifying him or grumbling? Calling him Lord or calling him a liar? Because Jesus wants, hopes, expects to find us joyful and peaceful, resting in the lives that he's purchased for us. He doesn't want to return to, to find that he went to the cross for us just to continue in our sin. He doesn't want to return to find that, that he endured God's wrath just so that we could keep living as if the cross never happened. To which all of us sometimes, and some of us all the time, answer, well, then he needs to hold up his end of the bargain. If Jesus wants me to say that he's enough, if he wants me to act like he's enough, he needs to start being enough. And he needs to not leave me needing more. He needs to not leave me hanging, needing something sinful to get through my day, to cope with this life. But, but, but see, there we go again calling Jesus a liar. We're saying he's wrong, but if Jesus is wrong, Jesus knows everything, so if he's wrong, he's wrong on purpose. And he knows that he's not enough, but he says he's enough. When we say that he's not, we call him a liar. Just one problem, Jesus doesn't lie. He's truth, and he's enough. And Paul's reminding us this morning, Jesus is enough if, here's what we need to not miss, if, Jesus is enough if we let him be enough. If we do what Paul's telling us to do, if we stop being conformed to this world and start being transformed, if we cast off darkness and put on light. Our problem, I, I, and I say our because if I haven't been clear, this is my struggle too. Ooh, which one, Patrick? Revelry, drunkenness, lewdness, strife, envy. Which is your? All of them. <laughs> I'm an equal opportunity sinner. They, they, they all tempt my flesh. I'm not proud of it. I'm just, I'm just saying I can relate. And because I can, I can say our problem, yours and mine, is we try to just work half the equation. We try to cast off the works of darkness without also at the same time putting light in their place. Let me say that again for people on their phones. Our problem is we try to cast off the works of darkness without at the same time putting light in their place. And, and Paul, Paul assumes we get that. He presumes that, that we know that, that we understand that casting off and putting on are two parts of the same transaction. If it's not this, then it's that. If it's not conform, it's transform. If it's not darkness, it's light. 
That's how Jesus talks about it. Jesus says, repent and follow me. We know that repent is stop going in the direction that you are. Turn around. Okay, I, I, if I'm going to repent and follow him, I'm stopping, I'm turning around. It's all part of the same transaction. I'm no longer going this way. I'm now going that way. Jesus talks about it that way. Jesus instructs us that way. And Paul expects that we understand that's the way that it works. Jesus tells us, repent and follow me, because he knows that joy and peace are waiting for us when we do. And that's what he wants for us. But we sabotage ourselves because we try to separate those two. We try to have one and not the other. Do, Do one and not the other. We try to deal with darkness in our strength without reference to light, without the resource of light, and we end up frustrated and aggravated and, and stuck and hopeless and helpless and everything else because it doesn't work that way. Hey, it, why don't you quit this job and work with me over here? Wait, I have an even better idea. I'll keep this job and work that job both at the same time. You're going to work two jobs, same shift, same hours. Yeah, I'll figure it out. No, you won't. You have to choose. Why don't you repent of sin and follow Jesus? I've got a better idea. I'll keep my sin and just, and just follow Jesus too. No, it doesn't work that way. And that makes sense to us. But, but then we try to, to do the same thing in reverse. Well, I'm going to try to walk away from my sin without following Jesus. I'm going to try to deal with darkness on my own without bringing in light. It doesn't work. If we want to get rid of darkness, we have to. We must put light in its place. And, 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 and we know if we stop and think about it that way, that makes sense. Because when did any of us ever cast off the works of darkness? When, when did any of us ever defeat sin in our own strength in any meaningful, lasting way? Never. Casting off the works of darkness requires putting on the armor of light. Oh, but I've done that, Patrick. You have? Yeah, I'm a Christian. That's great. Well, so I've traded darkness for light. Why is it still not working? And see, see, we think that when we got saved, that's the end of it. That settles it. Paul's writing to Christians. Paul's writing to the church in Rome, telling them, telling us, if we want to have the lives that God wants for us, we need to keep letting light in. We keep, need, to, need to keep bringing it in. We need to keep choosing light over darkness so that light can keep defeating darkness. Becoming a Christian doesn't automatically vanquish all the sin in our lives. You might have noticed. And it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It's not supposed to. And at first that doesn't make any sense. Why do I still sin? God, the Holy Spirit lives in me. Why does he let me sin? If he really loved me, he wouldn't let me sin. Okay, careful, you're saying that you care about sin more than God does. The thing is, we have free will, and we've got a sin nature, and we've got an enemy, and we've got a world, and all of those things work together and conspire to make sin attractive and appealing and accessible to us. Being a Christian doesn't automatically vanquish sin. Becoming a Christian gives us the ability to defeat sin. When we become believers, we become children of the light, but, but the question is, are, are we going to walk that way? Are we going to live that way? Moment by moment, are we going to choose 
light because moment by moment we have to decide. I have this light. What do I do with it? Will I use it to defeat darkness? Will I use it to glorify God? Will I use it to love others? Will I use it to enjoy the life that Jesus purchased for me? Or am I going to leave it over here and wrestle with my sin alone in the darkness over there? Do we embrace the light or do we resist the light? Or do we try to have it both ways? Okay, light, come on over, but just, just here, not here. You, you, can, you can deal with this stuff, not this stuff. This is, this is mine. This is, this is my, don't, don't, no light here. This is private. This is, this is where I keep my idols. Paul would tell, Paul, Paul is telling us, if we want to have the life that Jesus purchased for us, and, and if we want to know the joy and the rest and the peace that God wants for us, we got to put on the armor of light. We got to let it defend us against the darkness. We got to let it drive out the darkness. We got to let the light be just blazing where the darkness used to be so it doesn't come back. How do we do that? See, we're back to that. We started there, and then we went out for a walk because we had to talk about why we need the light and what happens if we don't put on the armor of light. Now we've answered those questions, so we're back to our original question. How do I cast off the work of darkness, put on the armor of light, and walk properly as in the day? And, and if we wanted to deep dive, we could lateral to 1 Thessalonians 5. We could pop over to Ephesians chapter 6, because both of them, Paul explores this idea in greater depth, light and darkness and the armor of God and belts and helmets and breastplates and shields. But I don't think that we need to, which is good because I don't think we have time to. They're both super relevant chapters. Dig into them on your own. 1 Thessalonians 5, Ephesians 6. But for our purposes this morning, I think we can get what we need from Galatians 5. Go ahead and turn there. But, but before you do, look once more at the end of Romans 13. Very last verse. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul tells us. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Now go Galatians 5, with that in your mind. In Galatians 5.16, we read, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Everything that Paul was just talking about, right? Walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh, Galatians 5.17, lust against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish. We struggle with our flesh. We struggle with the works of darkness that appeal to our flesh. And the works of the flesh are evident, verse 19, Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, wrath, ambition, dissension, heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries. That's a much more complete list than Romans 13. But it's 100% the same idea, and it's 100% the same conclusion. The life we're looking for, the life our souls crave, the life God desires for us is not waiting in the darkness is not found in any sin. It's found in only one place. It's found where darkness isn't. It's found where light is. It's found where sin isn't. It's found where love reigns. Verse 22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are what? Fruit of the Spirit, beginning of the verse. They come from what? Verse 16. 
walking in the Spirit, walking in the light, walking in the Spirit, rejecting the world and choosing to be transformed by God, walking in the Spirit, renouncing the darkness, embracing the light, walking in the Spirit, deciding that today I'm not going to think like the world, I'm going to think like God. Today, I'm not going to choose sin, I'm going to choose God. Today, I'm not going to live in my strength, I'm going to live in the strength that God supplies. Today, I'm going to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Interesting that today is Pentecost, where the church remembers the outpouring of God's Spirit, the Spirit coming upon the church for what? For power. At the end of John's gospel, the, the, the disciples were indwelt by the Spirit. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. And then he said, hey, wait in Jerusalem. Don't go do ministry yet. Don't start serving and evangelizing and every other thing. Wait in Jerusalem until the coming of the promise, which happened 10 days later at Pentecost. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to love, we need the whole power of the Holy Spirit to serve, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to not sin. Want to live a life of worship? Want to live a, a life that will make Jesus say, yes, that's what I died for, walk in the Spirit. Choose light every day and keep choosing light through the day. Choose to walk in the light. Choose to walk in Christ's love. Choose to walk in the Spirit. Three ways of saying the same thing. Patrick, you talk about this a lot. I do. I talk about it a lot because the Bible talks about it a lot. And we're Calvary, so when we come to where the Bible talks about it, that's what we talk about. Cast off the works of darkness, walk in the light, walk in the Spirit. David talks about that in Psalms. Jesus in the Gospels. Paul in almost every one of his letters. Peter in both of his letters. And Peter, the last time that Peter talks about it, 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, I know I talk about this a lot. But I'm not going to apologize for it because it's important and you need to hear it. So so long as I can still talk and write, this is what you're going to hear from me. And so if it's good enough for Peter. <laughs> and, and, and let's be honest, it's, it's relevant to us. We need it. It's important to us. We need to live it. So how do I do it? Can we please get practical, Patrick? How do I cast off darkness and walk in the light? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It, turn down the people who said you just decide to at the beginning of the message. Word completely wrong. They just missed one important thing. It's decide to and keep deciding to. Keep putting on the mind of Christ. Keep being transformed. Be being filled, Paul says. Choose light and keep choosing light. How do I do that? If you're taking notes as we wrap up this morning, let me, let me give you a mnemonic. Let me give you a, a, an acronym. Some of the things that I've picked up over the years. Some of the things that helped me. Some of, the, some of the ways that I remember to walk in the Spirit when I remember to remember to walk in the Spirit. If you're taking notes, write the word Spirit vertically. S-P-I-R-I-T. Spirit. S. Start. Start your day deciding you're going to walk in the Spirit. Why? You don't wake up in the Spirit. I promise you don't. If you're not sure, ask your spouse. They will tell you. You do not walk, you do not wake up in the Spirit. And the sooner you decide you're going to walk in the Spirit, 
is less of a hole that you need to dig out of. You wake up in a hole. You wake up in the flesh. The longer you go walking in the flesh during the day is going to be the harder it is to put off that flesh and walk in the Spirit. Anytime you spend walking in the flesh makes the hole deeper. So as soon as I'm awake, I try to decide, who am I going to worship today? What's going to be important today? Who am I going to serve today? Where's my strength going to come from today? If my answer is, I want to serve my flesh in my flesh, well, then no problem, I'm done. That's easy, because that's autopilot. But if the answer is no, I want to serve God and others in the strength that God supplies, well, well, then I need to start praying, God, fill me afresh with your spirit, that I can walk in your strength, that I can love with your grace. That's not automatic. That's going into settings and hitting override. But i got to choose. Because I can't serve God and serve people and love God and love people in the flesh. P, put away the works of darkness. And, 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 and start off just by being super practical with that. What tempts you to sin? Don't have it in arm's reach. And especially don't have it in arm's reach at the beginning of the day. And you might be thinking about, well, you know, that's not where I keep my... my, my sinful paraphernalia, but, but there's neutral stuff that might tempt you to sin. For a lot of people, it's your phone. Because the phone means news, the news means fear and anxiety, that's flesh. Phone means social media, social media says, what are they wearing, what are they doing, how do they compare to me? That's flesh. The phone means messaging. Who responded to my message? Who left me on red? Who do I need to message? That's flesh. Phone means people. At the other end of the phone are people. I was talking to one woman. She said, yeah, I just, I, I, I'm digging myself out of, out of a hole every morning. I said, how come? She said, first thing in the morning, I called my mom. I said, I get that. If it hurts when you do that, don't do that. She said, but it's my mom, and I love her, and I want to talk to her. I said, great, wait until you're in the spirit. Because if you talk to your mom while you're in the flesh, it's going to put you deeper in your flesh. Her mom, her relationship. Just using the phone as an example, but, but before you start dealing with the things of the world that appeal to your flesh, that, that activate your flesh, get in the Spirit. Spirit might tell you, you know, once you put that thing out of reach, it might say, yeah, and, you, and you don't need it anymore, don't go back to it. If your Spirit says that, listen. I, intentional, intentional time in the morning. Because walking in the Spirit takes more than idle thought. It's a conscious decision. Holy Spirit's a person. If you want to deepen and strengthen a relationship with a person, if you want to renew a relationship, what do you do? You, you think about that person, yeah, but you also talk to them, listen to them, spend time with them. Walking in the Spirit means spending time with God. Spending time in prayer, spending time in worship, spending time in the Word. And you might push back and say, Patrick, I, I do my devotional reading later in the day when I'm awake I want, I want to be able to read the word and understand it. and okay, That's fine. That's, that, that's fine. But it doesn't mean live in the flesh until then. Because if you live in the flesh until, well, I, I read in the middle of the day. I read at the end of the day. I read when I get home. I read before I go to bed. Well, then you've spent your whole day in the flesh up to that point and maybe even past that point because by that time, man, your flesh has got a lot of momentum. Flesh in motion tends to stay in motion. No, spend some time, some way with the Lord, whether it's worship or the word or prayer or all of the above. 
How much time? What kind of time? I don't know. For me, my metric is, 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 is I start off saying, God, I need you. And, and, and I know that, that I've switched over to walking in the Spirit when I'm hearing, no, y- 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 yes, you need me, and I have you. R, refresh. You've heard me say it before. I don't know anyone who can coast on, on, on morning time with the Spirit all day. Our lives are too busy. Our flesh is, is too present. The world is too, you know, everything that it is. Spirit wars with flesh and everything else. Over the course of the day, we need to pause and be refreshed, be refilled, be renewed. The key is remembering that we need that. Our could also be remember. Because if I wait until I realize I'm, I'm, I'm in the flesh, it's too late. <laughs> if, I re, if, I'm, if I'm aware I'm in the flesh, bad things are happening. <laughs> so I, I, need, I, I, I try to schedule pauses, breaks in the day. And, and you can do that by, by putting reminders on your phone or, or just getting in the habit every time you transition from home to work, work to lunch, lunch back to work, work to home. Anytime you have a transition in your schedule, pause. Am I, am I walking in the Spirit? Just asking the question helps. Because just asking the question reminds us we want to. If I ask the question, I know when I'm walking in the Spirit. I don't always know that I'm walking in the flesh until I stop and ask. And if the answer isn't yes, then it must be no. Pausing. I, interruptions. These are the the interruptions that foist themselves upon you. Anything that's unplanned, unexpected, should be automatic prayer. Lord, I wasn't ready for this. I'm not prayed up for this. Fill me. Strengthen me. Help me. Show me, show me what worshiping you looks like right now, right here. Oh, my flesh hates that. My flesh wants to do, deal. My flesh wants to already know, make things happen, or, or run away. The thing we've got to remember, God is not surprised. Anything that happens in our life, God is not surprised. He's also never in a hurry, is he? Jesus never rushes, and he always walks in the Spirit. I think those two things are related. Okay, God, this wasn't my plan. Show me how to fulfill your plan in your strength. Intrusive thoughts, same thing. I don't want to think about this. God, give me your Spirit to to, to overcome this thought. Invitation to sin. God, give me your Spirit to walk away from this and not look back. But, But here's the key. If I'm not already somewhat walking in the Spirit, if I haven't been walking in the Spirit all day up to that point, when sin jumps up and says, ah, (laughs) and presents an opportunity for me to stumble, if I'm not already walking in the Spirit, I'm probably not going to pick that moment to say, hmm, pause, I'm going to walk in the Spirit now, so just time out while I, no, (laughs) I need to have already been walking in the Spirit. I need to be remembering that I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to live in the power of the Spirit. I want to say no to darkness. I want to say yes to light. So that when those unexpected things happen, I'm not not filling up my tank from empty to full. I'm just topping it off. T, last one. Today. Today. God never promises us strength for the lifetime. Or a year or tomorrow. He gives us strength for today. Manna is a picture of that. Manna, the children of Israel in the desert. God provided for each day, and everyone had to gather their own. You couldn't gather for anyone else, and you couldn't keep it for the next day other than the Sabbath. 
God only promises us strength for today. Flip side is he always promises us strength for today. What does that mean? I don't have to overcome sin forever. I don't have to say no to all the darkness that will ever visit me in my life until I'm with Jesus. Just, Just the next one. I don't have to envision an entire lifetime, however many years the Lord allows, without my favorite not-Jesus coping mechanism. No, I just need to know that I can choose God over sin the next time. I need to remember and I need to pray, God, I know that you're giving me light for today, for this temptation, for this situation, for this frustration, for this person. Where you guide, you you provide. What you allow, you'll give me the power to overcome. Today, as long as I don't get sucked back into my flesh, as long as I keep walking in the Spirit, as long as I keep putting on the Lord Jesus, as long as I keep living in the light and bringing the light with me and setting the light before me and trusting myself to it today. Jesus, thank you that you are enough. Every situation, every interaction, every relationship, every decision, you're enough. More than enough. You are light and you drive out darkness. As we submit, as we yield, as we decide. Your light, your love, your spirit is enough. Jesus, we thank you for the cross that purchased this new life, that gave us access to your light. Thank you on this side of the cross, those who have chosen you, you've made a home in us. Thank you that your spirit comes upon us as we seek you, as we yield to you. This Memorial Day weekend, we thank you for those who followed your example, who gave their life for friends. We thank you for the sailors, the soldiers, the aviators, the ground crew. Thank you for the Marines, the Coast Guard. Thank you for all of those in the uniformed services. Lord, be with their families this weekend. And be with us. Lord, would you show us how to celebrate the freedom that their blood purchased? How to rejoice in the religious liberty that we have in this nation. And Lord, teach us how to use the liberty that your blood purchased. To run after, dark, uh, run after light and leave darkness far, far behind. 